Open your Bibles with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. Isaiah, chapter 7. So you all know what we've been doing is we're getting ready to change and update our church constitution and bylaws. And so we're laying a foundation for that. Uh, the week before last, we looked at how, how the church will stand for truth against the immorality of the age. Uh, the plan is for next week. I'm going to be laying the foundation on the Bible. What Bible are we going to use and why? That's next Sunday morning. And the following Sunday is our promotion Sunday. We're going to be honoring our graduates, and I'm going to have a special sermon for our graduates, um, and, and especially Isaac McDermott. He, he's going to need the sermon more than anyone else. His dad said amen. Um, it's just going to be a blast. I, I love that service with our young people. And then, Lord willing, we're going to be launching Sunday morning and Sunday night our How to Study the Bible. Uh, trying to do that just on Sunday nights wasn't going to work. We have new people come since we started it. So, yes, we're going to start it over. And uh, we're going to have a great time learning how to study the Bible. One of the main sources I'm using is Mark Trotter's book on the keys to Bible study. And with him in heaven now, it's just going to be fun for the influence that he had on Grace Baptist just to continue. But it's not Mark, it's the Bible. And it's, it's just so fun that we're going to be doing that. So this morning, we're going to be looking at this topic, the church distinct before the throne, distinct before the throne. So remember the background of this series, there's some considerations. Um, people who love God and his word differ or disagree on what a church is, on what a church is. We've been looking at what it means to be before the throne of God. That, that means that everything is open and naked before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The Bible in the book of Colossians says that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. That we can't make the church fit our culture. We can't make the church fit what we want, what the world wants. We're not going to go out into the community and take a survey. What kind of a church do you want? We're going to tell them what Jesus told us to tell them. That's what a church is. Did you know that the Bible actually tells us what a church is? And it's fascinating, there are so many different denominations and types of churches. It probably would have been good for me to look that up just in Sydney. How many different denominations of Christians are represented only in Sydney, Ohio, or uh, within Sydney, Ohio? It would be an interesting thing to see. One of the interesting things that we're going to be looking at this morning is that how do people disagree on these? There's only way, one way that someone could disagree with the things that we're going to look at today. They don't believe the Bible. And so those are some of the things that we need to settle on. People who agree with us doctrinally, some disagree with our position on what's called ecclesiastical separation. Ecclesiastical separation. Have you all noticed that we don't interact with a lot of the... the Oh, the culturally civic things that other churches are participating in in our community. There's a reason for that. Um, I had you go to Isaiah. Put a marker there. Go to Galatians chapter 1. It would be good to do this this morning. Galatians chapter 1. 
All right. Look with me in verse 6. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that hath called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would... What's that next word? What is it? Pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let... What's that next word? What is it? Him be accursed, as we said before. So say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So here's the problem. The reason we don't participate with other so-called Christian ministries in our community, is because they have perverted the gospel. What does it mean to pervert the gospel? Here's the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. That Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, He lived a sinless life, He died on the cross to pay for my sin and your sin. He was buried for three days and three nights. He rose again victorious over death and the grave, triumphant over sin as the victor over death and the only Savior of the world. And if you'll believe that, repent of your sin and believe that, God will save you. Amen? Any church that teaches anything other than that has perverted the gospel. If someone adds baptism to salvation. Now, how many of you think baptism is important to a Baptist church? Is it a part of the gospel? No. The Apostle Paul said, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Baptism is not a part of the gospel. If someone adds baptism to the gospel, that's perverting the gospel. There are some people that believe that, yes, you're saved by faith, but you have to keep it by works. That's adding works to salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You cannot work for a gift. Don't make me get my pen out. You cannot work for a gift. Amen? So if someone says you have to, yes, we believe in faith, but you also have to work, that's a perversion of the gospel. They have perverted it. And here's what the Bible says about that person. Let him be accursed. That is damned to hell. How can I accurse, How can I identify a man as accursed and hold his hand and pray that God will bless his ministry? I can't do that. Look at Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16 and verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, he's begging them, mark them which cause divisions and offenses. Now that's where Christianity is. That's where they would stop the verse. They would mark us for causing divisions and offenses. Why can't we all just get along? Look at the rest of the verse. Contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. So if someone brings another doctrine, another gospel, 
then what are we to do? We're to mark them. We're to mark them. So if Doug starts teaching, he goes across the street, starts a church, and starts the church of the Schmidt-Meyers, and starts teaching doctrine that is false, it would be my job to say, be careful about Doug Schmidt-Meyer. He's teaching false doctrine. Stay away from him. What is that? Mark him, identify him, and avoid him. How do I get together and participate in ministry with people the Bible tells me to mark and avoid? How can I do that? I can't. I cannot be obedient to the scriptures and be popular in Sydney. Now, it's a good thing that's not my goal because obviously I've not achieved popularity. My favorite story like that is Stacy invited her neighbor and she said, isn't that where they have that short preacher that thinks he's funny? That's, that's, that's as popular as I'm going to get. So, but, but the key here, the key is God didn't call us to associate with all of the Christians in Sydney. He called us to gather together, to be obedient to the word, and to do what he has told us to do, to carry out the Great Commission. There are people who agree with us doctrinally, but disagree with our position on ecclesiastical separation. But you understand, and this is what I hope comes across throughout this whole sermon. You have to disagree with Galatians 1, 6, and 7. You have to disagree with Romans 1, 16 to disagree with our separation. Remember what holy Holy before the throne. Holiness means separate, different, and other. If we are going to be a holy church, that means our church has to be different from churches that are not holy, and you cannot be holy and disagree with God's word. So we're establishing some things about what we are going to continue to do. A a, a denomination's original teachings may not be the same today. So while we would disagree with Methodist doctrine on many things, John Wesley led a lot of people to the Lord. He did not preach another gospel. He led a lot of people to the Lord. Now, his infant baptism, his teaching on sinless perfection, there there are several things that were a problem with John Wesley's ministry. My favorite thing, did you know he was only about five feet tall? I saw his shoe. He wore a size, a size five shoe. His wife was a large woman, very mean. And, you know, if you've seen pictures of him, he had long hair. And she'd beat him up and drag him around the house by his hair. She left him, and he preached for 27 years without a wife. And you know what he said? I thank God that devil of a woman is gone. Is that hilarious? So Wesley, and we still sing John Wesley and Charles Wesley's hymns, and can it be that I should gain? And they're wonderful. The United Methodist Church of today, John Wesley would not attend. So understand that a denomination's foundation may not be where it is today. And I don't have to go. I don't have time to go into all of the changes that have happened. But but just understand that if you if you have had John Wesley recommended to you as a as a source, don't think that the Presbyterian Church in town will reflect John Wesley. It's not going to. It's going to be different. Some denominations have a wide disparity of views in their local congregations. So there are. American Baptist churches that disagree with what the American Baptist church denomination, that that, that is a denomination, does. 
that church has the opening and affirming. They're welcoming homosexuals into the churches, and they ordain women. Many of the, probably most of the American Baptist churches have, uh, have female pastors now. But there are individual congregations that reject those things. Okay? Now, the problem is they still send money to those places. Another big problem is the denomination owns their building. So if they want to get right, they'll take the building away. The denomination owns the retirement of the pastor. So if the pastor wants to do right, they take his retirement from him. Isn't that incredible? That's why you'll see one of our distinctives would keep that from happening. Okay? But some denominations have a wide disparity of views in their local congregations. We should approach this topic with one primary objective. What is the truth? Amen? And Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. These things that we're talking about, they're not up for debate. They're declared in Scripture. So it's our job not to debate them. It's our job to submit to them. And that's who we are as a church. We should approach this topic with one primary authority, the Word of God. We're going to have a written statement of faith. We're going to have a printed statement of faith. It'll be on our website so people can see what our statement of faith is. But one of the things in our statement of faith, we looked at the week before last, and it is the final authority is not this statement of faith. The final authority is the Word of God. Because there's no way your statement of faith can give everything that you believe. But this sure can. This is our final authority, the Word of God. So what is a Christian denomination and this, it's an interesting thing, you know, so any of you who know anything about math, which is not me, but any of you who know anything about math know that when you denominate something, you divide it. You have the, the what's the top one? What is it? Numerator. What's the bottom one? Okay. So when you denominate something, you divide it. So a denomination is a division in Christianity. We're continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. It's interesting. We're not really a denomination. They denominated from us. Well, that's arrogant. Okay. <laughs> it's just the truth. All right. <laughs> I want to go on rabbit trails right now, but I'm not going to. Okay, so what is a Christian denomination? To be considered Christian, a church must hold to some specific doctrines. So there are churches that call themselves Christian churches who aren't Christian. There are groups that call themselves Christian, but they're not. They're not telling the truth. So to be a Christian denomination, there are some specific doctrines that you have to hold to. The first one is, that's Isaiah. Can we go there? Isaiah chapter 7. The virgin birth. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Was that son virgin born? Did he come? What's his name? Jesus. Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. If you don't believe Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, you're not a Christian. Can I get a good amen on that? Amen. Now, how many of you know that people other than Baptists believe in the virgin birth? Right? Because they're Christians. Is it? There are more Christians than Baptists. Amen? But, to be called Christian, you must believe in the virgin birth. Then, the second, you must believe in the deity of Christ. You must believe that Jesus is God. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. 
Hebrews chapter 1. I love this passage. I was flying to Oklahoma for a conference, and the man next to me was from The Way over in New Knoxville. He was a trainer for them. And he told me the Bible never says that Jesus is God. And so I took him to this passage, and he had never seen it before. But it didn't change his belief because he belongs to a cult. So look at Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8. But unto the Son, is that S capitalized there? So it's talking about Jesus. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, what are those next two words? Is forever and ever, the scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. If you don't believe that Jesus is God, you're not a Christian. Look at Philippians chapter 2. What are we doing? We're laying down foundational doctrine for this church in perpetuity. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in who? Who? Look at the next verse. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be what? He's not a God. He's God. You're not a God. He won't share his glory with another. Is that what the Bible says? He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus is God. Look at John chapter 17. And remember what we're saying. There was the, the pastor, I think his name was Wagner. It was when I first came to Sydney. He had an article in the paper. Um, I believe he was pastor. Somebody can help me of the First Episcopal Church. And he put an ad in the paper saying that he didn't believe in the deity of Christ or the virgin birth. So you can call yourself whatever you want, but you're not a Christian. Amen? John chapter 17, verse 1. These words spake who? And lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. So you have God the Father and God the Son. God the Father and God the Son. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had, look, with thee before the world was. If he says he won't give his glory to another if he won't share his glory with another, if Jesus had that glory, then Jesus is God. You must believe in the deity of Christ to be a Christian. Next, you must believe in the Godhead. The Godhead, sometimes called the Trinity. And it's fun that the phrase or the, the title Godhead is used three times in your Bible. I love that. The Godhead, the Trinity. Look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7. You have to believe this to be a Christian.
For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word. Who's the Word? We know John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That's Jesus. For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are what? One. One. Look at Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us. Who's the us? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen? God the Father ordained. God the Son spoke. God the Holy Spirit executed. You see that. Look at Genesis chapter 1. Look at verse 1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. So this is fun. God created. God the Son said. God the Holy Spirit executed. How do we know that's God the Son who said? Go to John 1. Again, we're laying foundational truth. If you disagree with this, you're not disagreeing with Jim Alter. You're disagreeing with the Bible. Amen? Someone said one time to a preacher, that's, that's just your interpretation. He said, all I did was read it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the Word. All things were made by Him. He spoke and the Bible even says that in, in the book of Hebrews that he upholds all things by the word of his power. God the Father ordained, God the Son spoke, God the Holy Spirit executed. If you don't believe in the Godhead Trinity, you're not a Christian. These are things that all Christians have to believe in. The virgin birth, the deity of Christ, the Godhead. Next, Christ's vicarious atonement. This is the teaching that Jesus died on the cross in the place of the sinner. That Jesus died on the cross in the place of the sinner. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is my favorite verse on this subject. Not that that's relevant to anything. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 21. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles. Look under the chair in front of you. There's a Bible there for you to use. For he hath made him, that's Jesus... To be, look at that, sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So the way that works is Jesus Christ is clean. I'm so covered up in sin you can't see me. On the cross, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. One of the most amazing teachings in the scripture, when I was a child, the passage um, where the serpent in the wilderness was lifted up, and if you'd look at the serpent, you could live. And the Bible said about Jesus, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. So that serpent in the wilderness is a picture of Jesus Christ. But be honest with me, the serpent is, a, it, it, when you think of the serpent, who do you see that as a picture of? And I saw this, uh, a, a Bible teacher showed this to me. Amazing truth. If you could have seen Jesus Christ on the cross with spiritual eyes, he would have looked just like Satan. He was made to be sin on the cross. 
That is the vicarious, the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. One of the titles that the Catholic Church gives to the Pope is the Vicar of Christ, the substitute for Christ on earth. I'm sorry, Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He doesn't need a substitute, he's here. If someone says he's the vicar of Christ, he's a liar. If someone says he's the vicar of Christ, that is blasphemy. It's evil, it's sin. Albert Moeller, the president of Southern Seminary, was on Focus on the Family. He's on the board. When Pope John Paul II died, he was on with a, several Catholic priests. James Dobson asked these priests, what, do you, what is your desire? What would you like to see happen for the next pope? They went around and, and they gave all these different glowing things they'd like to see the pope do. And uh, Albert Moeller said, I hope he's the last one because it's an illegitimate office. We don't need a vicar. We have Christ. We don't need a substitute. He's alive. He rose from the dead. We don't need a substitute. We are his ambassadors. That's what it says in the same passage. And we are his ambassadors. We've been given the the ministry of reconciliation. We tell people, be ye reconciled to God. We don't need a substitute. We have Jesus and we have the gospel. If you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. And your church is not a Christian church. As a matter of fact, it might be an assembly, but it's not a church. Then, you must believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you believe it was only a spiritual resurrection, then you're not a Christian. Because if Jesus didn't conquer death, you're still in your sins. That's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 4. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen of James, and of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me, the apostle Paul, also as one, or as of one born out of due time. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He's alive. He's coming back bodily, physically. His feet will step on the, uh, will, will land on the Mount of Olives. He'll split that in two and he'll walk into the eastern gate that they concreted up. That's not going to stop Jesus. They planted dead bodies in front of him because he can't walk on dead bodies. Yeah, well, you know what happens? The earth opens up and it makes a new, uh, a, a new pathway, a new highway for the king. How about that? They didn't bury him deep enough. Jesus Christ bodily rose again, and he will bodily return. If you don't believe that, then you're not a Christian. And your church is not Christian. Then, salvation by grace through faith alone and not of works. We've quoted those passages. Titus 3.5. Let's look at Titus. Titus Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified, declared righteous by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What is that washing of regeneration? That's the new birth, regenerate, made alive. That's not water. That's Jesus Christ's blood washing away our sins. You can't earn that. You can't work it. It Work for it. If you don't believe that salvation by grace is by grace through faith alone, 
Not a Christian. You're not a Christian. Vital. Now, you say, Pastor, are you saying that a person has to understand all these things to be saved? Well, this one you do. This one you do. The others, no. But you can't call yourself a Christian church if you don't believe those things. Amen. Then, you must believe in that visible return of Jesus Christ. Let's look at it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Look at Matthew chapter 25. Verse 31, when the Son of Man, that's Jesus, shall come, what's it say? What are those, what are those next three words? And all the holy angels with him. That means the unholy angels aren't coming, right? Then shall he sit upon the throne of, what's that next word? His glory. Jesus Christ is returning. He has the glory of the Father he is God, and he's going to come and sit on that throne physically on the earth. If you don't believe in that, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. Now, are there Christians that don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture? Yes. Yes. Are they wrong? Yes. But if you don't believe Jesus Christ is coming back, you're not a Christian. Okay, I'll, I'll debate with you about pre-trib, mid-trib, uh, post-trib. Somebody called it pan-trib. It'll all pan out in the end. So we, we can debate about some of those things, but if you don't believe Jesus Christ is coming back, you don't believe the Bible. Amen? I can't wait for him to come back. He's coming back soon. All right, so, to be a Christian, all Christian denominations, Baptist or not, believe those things, and we definitely believe all of those things. Baptist distinctives are those biblical doctrines that when taught and obeyed in our churches, mark us as distinct from any other Christian sect. These are what make us different, which is why they're called distinctives. Baptist distinctives are those biblical doctrines we hold that other denominations either neglect or distort. And this has become worse, worser, and worser because at the end of the... 1800s, that German higher criticism that we've talked about had influenced all the seminaries in the world. And what that means is people stopped believing that Jesus is God. They stopped believing in the inerrancy, the infallibility of Scripture. They stopped believing in the virgin birth and the deity of Christ. They, they stopped believing every word of God is true. They didn't believe that Moses wrote all of the first five books of the Bible. They didn't believe that Isaiah wrote all of Isaiah. All of that stuff happened. 
And so there was great consternation in Christianity. And so people from all different denominations got together to fight against that. And they put out a a, a series of booklets called The Fundamentals. And if you agreed with those fundamentals, virgin birth, deity of Christ, bodily return of Christ, if you believed in those things, somebody would say, what kind of Christian are you? Well, I agree with those fundamentals. That's where the term fundamentalist came from. That's where it came from. So you had these fundamentalists. But how many of you know that not all of those fundamentalists believe in believers' baptism? They're baptizing babies. Babies don't believe anything except they're wet. They don't believe anything. They're just mad. Right? They don't believe in believers' baptism. They don't believe in a born-again church membership. Why? Because that baby becomes a member of the church. That baby's not born again. You're born again when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you don't place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're not born again. Jesus said, you must be born again. So what do we teach? You must be born again. Why do you always teach you must be born again? Because you must be born again. That doesn't happen at baptism. It can't happen at baptism. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. A baby doesn't believe the word of God. A baby just knows they're hungry, they're wet, or they're not hungry or not wet. That's all they know. They can't believe. So Baptist distinctives are those biblical doctrines we hold to that other denominations either neglect or distort. So there were a group of Presbyterians that separated from the Presbyterian church, and they started a Bible church movement. Many of the Bible churches that that were fundamental, that preached the gospel. Um, There was uh, the 10th Presbyterian church in Philadelphia, Donald Gray Barnhouse, an amazing preacher of the Word of God. He would have been a part of the, the fundamentalist movement, but he was wrong on baptism. He's wrong on that. He was wrong on church membership because he violated the Scriptures. So what happened in that fundamentalist movement, these distinctives in many cases were lost. They were relegated to secondary importance. Well, how can you say baptism is secondary? Isn't it a third of the Great Commission? How can you say it's secondary? You can't. You can't. Some non-Baptist groups hold to one or more of our distinctives, but only a Baptist church holds to all of them. That's what makes them a Baptist. Some churches call themselves Baptist, but no longer believe the doctrines above, nor the Baptist distinctives. So Dalton Robertson and I were in New York City, going through Washington Park, looking at old bookstores, and we saw an old church. And you could tell there's a certain architecture. You can tell what a Baptist church was from that era. If you go down to Troy, you can tell what First Baptist Church in Troy was. You can, it just, there's a certain architecture. And so we went to check it out. And it's the Judson Memorial Baptist Church. Adoniram Judson, the great missionary to Burma. It was pastored by his son. But they had an advertisement on their website. Come, we're going to have a play that includes beer and nudity. How many of you think that's a different Baptist church than Grace Baptist? I know some of you are saying, I would go to that church. That's not what we're going to do here, Wade knew. Um, <laughs> he woke up right there. It's amazing. Um, so Dalton wrote her a letter, the pastor. It was the most amazing thing, the interaction She said, well, you're obviously one of those Jerry Falwell fundamentalist type of Baptists. We're not that. Man, we're so far to the right of Jerry Falwell, she couldn't even see us. It was hilarious. So anyway, 
There are churches that call themselves Baptist that no longer hold to our doctrine. While this type of church brings reproach on the Baptist name, it does not change what a genuine Baptist believes. I like to say this. How many of you, you're Americans? Are you a Nancy Pelosi American or are you a George Washington American? How many of you think there's a difference? George Washington didn't do this when he talked. So why is the name important? Because, as you'll see, the name identifies a body of doctrine as well as a method of ministry, both of which come directly from the pages of the Bible. So that's why Grace Baptist Church will be called Grace Baptist Church. We're not going to change it, but you all know what I would change it to if I was going to change it. You all remember? I call it the ramp. We're just going to take off to Jesus. Let's call it the ramp. Hey, where are you going? I'm going to the ramp. What does that mean? I'm going to the bridge. What does that mean? That's a restaurant or used to... Is there a restaurant in Sydney? Yeah. What, when you say Grace Baptist Church, that means something, doesn't it? That means something. Now, are there churches of right doctrine that don't have Baptist in their name? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt. You just have to spend some time figuring out what they believe. Here we put it on the sign. Man, I started to get distracted. Let's keep going. So what is the first of these distinctives that make us distinct? Well, the Bible is our sole authority. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You know, go to 2 Timothy. Let's do that. 2 Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 2, and look at verse 13. Sorry, verse 16. Verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings. That's empty. Vain? Empty. Saying nothing. You ever been to a church where the preacher said nothing? That's vain babblings. For they will increase unto more ungodliness, for their word will eat as doth a canker, uh, as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. Can you imagine these guys that, that mess with Paul's ministry and God had them write their name and the, had them write their name in the Bible? To know that's the kind of man to avoid. What did he do? He marked them and he avoided them. He's demonstrating that. Now go with me to Second um, Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. If you don't believe that, it's not a Christian church, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. That's showing people what's wrong. For correction, that's showing them how to be right. For instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Our statement of faith doesn't do that. Our Baptist doctrine doesn't do that. The Bible does that. Amen? The Bible does that. So that's why the Bible is our sole authority. Don't forget, Christianity is divided into four groups, all based on authority. The first group is traditional Christianity. It's the Word of God and tradition. The Word of God and tradition. And their authority is the Word of God and their tradition. You all have heard that, right? You go to some churches, they baptize babies. 
Why? Because it's their tradition. Are there any babies being baptized in the Bible? Not one. It's not there. It's their tradition. And when their tradition conflicts with the Word of God, their tradition always overrules the Word of God. So what's really their authority? Their tradition. Their tradition. The second group is charismatic Christianity. And their dueling authority is the Word of God and experience. If they have an experience, they bark like a dog, they lay down on the ground, go into hysterical laughter, they speak in unintelligible languages, all of those kinds of things, they're all contradicted by the Bible. But what they say is, oh, you don't understand, you weren't there, you didn't have my experience. What is it? Their experience is overruling the Word of God. We test our experience by the Word of God. We don't test the Word of God by our experience. Our life, our heart will lie to us. Our senses will lie to us. Our reason will lie to us. God's Word will never lie to us. Dueling authorities. The third is modern evangelical Christianity. They have dueling authorities. It's the Word of God and scholarship. And that manifests itself by things like this. Well, that verse isn't really supposed to be in your Bible. A better translation of that word would be, what are they saying? That they know better than God. And you need them. No, you don't need me to understand the Bible. If you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit of God and a King James Bible. If you have that, you're set. And then God gives you the gift of a teacher to help you. But you hold me accountable. I'm not the authority. The Word of God is the authority. The Bible is our sole authority. The fourth group is just Bible believers. Remember that bumper sticker, God said it, I believe it, that settles it? How many of you remember that? That's not true. God said it, that settles it, whether I believe it or not. Like that Frank Turek thing about gravity. If I don't believe in gravity, do I float away? Jim, come back, come back. If you just believe, you'll come back. Does gravity go away because I don't believe in it? No. God said it, that settles it, whether I believe it or not, and I will bear the consequences for that belief or disbelief. So the Bible's our sole authority. Then, the autonomy of the local church. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of the body, the church. I'm not the head. Jesus Christ is the head. You're not the head. Jesus Christ is the head. The congregation's not the head. Jesus Christ is the head. A denominational group is not the head. Jesus is the head. I mentioned those churches. They're, they're called Baptist churches, and in many cases they align with our Baptist distinctives, but their denomination owns their building. Their denomination owns the pastor's retirement. They're not allowed to be right. They're not allowed to stay true. They're not allowed to. Hallelujah for Grace Baptist Church or an independent Baptist church. If I teach false doctrine, you guys can bounce me out of here on my head. And you need to. You check out everything I preach. Make sure it agrees with the Word of God. This is the authority, not me. The autonomy of the local church. There's no outside organization telling us what to do here. It's this. It's this. Now, we'll cooperate with other ministries. Brandon's being sent out of uh, Wildwood. We'll, we'll participate with Wildwood. I enjoyed participating in the ordination there. We'll do that. They're, they're not going to listen to me. I have no authority at Wildwood. Wildwood has no authority here. That's God's plan. That is God. If we're wise, we'll learn from each other. But if, if false doctrine is there, we're not going to do it, and we'll separate from it. Then, the priesthood of the believer. The priesthood of the believer. Look at 1 Timothy 2.5. 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and one, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad you don't have to confess your sin to me? 
Isn't that wonderful? Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. You know, there are a lot of people going out to start churches that don't know this stuff. You know, there's, there's no chance they're going to start a right church. They're not doing what God said to do as a church. 1 Peter 2, 5. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices accepted by, acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. See, you don't go to a priest. If you're saved, you are a priest. What does that mean? That means you can pray for people. That means you can worship God. Isn't that wonderful? And that's what we're supposed to do. That's the priesthood of the believer. Now, how many of you know that other denominations don't believe that? There's the office of the priest. Not anymore. When that veil was rent in twain, that Levitical Levitical priesthood ended. There's no need for it anymore. We now have access to God through our high priest, Jesus Christ. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. There are two ordinances. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. An ordinance is something that was ordered by God ordered by Christ to be done in the churches, and then affirmed through the writings of the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things. Now look at this. And keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. These ordinances are to be kept. They are baptism and the Lord's Supper. We don't have sacraments. We don't have sacraments. In a sacrament, what that word means is you get grace from God by doing that. Well, that's a contradiction. The word grace means gift. You can't do anything to receive a gift. So we are not sacerdotalists. We are not sacramental. We, are, we believe in ordinances. They are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism is a very important thing. Baptism requires the proper candidate, the proper mode, and the proper administration. The proper candidate is a person that is born again. Remember Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch? He says, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And listen to what Philip said to him. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they both went down into the water, and he baptized him. If he was going to sprinkle him, why did they both need to go down into the water? He was immersed. Baptism requires the proper candidate, a saved person, the proper mode. That's immersion. The word baptize means to dip into water and to bring back out. We're going to baptize in a few minutes. Jake, are you glad I'm going to bring you back out? Right? Some people say, it just means immerse. Well, it is a new life. You go down and you come back. And I don't hold him down until he's dead. Right? Jesus did that. We don't have to do that. But it requires the proper mode. Then it requires the proper administration. God gave the pastor to the church to make sure the church functions properly. To oversee, that's what the word bishop means. It's overseer, to oversee the administration of the church. So that falls under the authority of the pastor for baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, an individual church can choose to have a deacon baptized. Philip was a deacon. An individual church can choose to have deacons administer the Lord's Supper. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's all under the authority of one of the two offices that we'll see in a minute, which is the pastor. All right? So it requires the proper candidate, a saved person, proper mode, immersion by water, and the proper administration, a local church. And there are three words that are identified in baptism. They are obedience, identification, and submission. It's obedience to the Lord's command because he told us to be baptized and to go and baptize. It is also submission. 
You're submitting to the Lord in believer's baptism. You're submitting in obedience. But the middle word is vital. It's identification. When you get baptized, what you're telling the world is, I'm identifying with Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. I'm identifying with Jesus. But you are also identifying with a local church and that church's doctrine. This is such an interesting thing. Go to Acts chapter 19. Are you all doing okay? We're going to get through this. Acts chapter 19. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. Now, you see that word disciple, you think disciples of Christ, right? No. Look at what it says. And he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Isn't that a great answer? And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? See, because you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and... Can I ask that again? You're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and... Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? I don't even know that there is a Holy Ghost. Look at his next question. What he's saying is your baptism identifies you with a belief. Let's see if I'm making it up. And he said unto them, verse 3, Unto what then were ye baptized? Interesting. And they said, unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the repentance, with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on, notice what it says, Christ Jesus. They were believing, what they were baptized for is to believe that the Messiah is coming. But the Messiah had come and been rejected. Now the message has changed. Look at what he says. He says, Then said Paul, verse 4, John verily baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. The name of the Lord Jesus. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, they weren't looking for a Lord. They weren't looking for God. They were looking for a Messiah. They got God. They got God. And they didn't want the Messiah that was God, so they killed him. Now we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So can you imagine, people get offended when you become a member at Grace Baptist Church. If you come from a church with different doctrine, you have, to be, you have to be baptized here to identify with our doctrine. We're not saying that you didn't follow the Lord in believer's baptism. When you got baptized, you were identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I don't doubt that at all. I don't doubt your sincerity in that. But you also identified with different doctrine than Grace Baptist teaches. So to become a member here, you have to identify with our doctrine through baptism. Can you imagine telling somebody John the Baptist baptism wasn't good enough? You understand that's what Paul did right here. And that's why we're called Baptists. It was shortened from Anabaptist, which means rebaptizer. Because it didn't matter what Christian denomination you were from, if you had identified with false doctrine, to become a member of a New Testament church, you must be baptized, identifying with that doctrine. That's baptism. And then it's submission. A person is never more submissive, they're never in a more submissive position than when they're being baptized. It's submission. It's submission to the pastor as their spiritual leader in the church, and it's submission to the entire church body. 
It's saying that under the word of God, as we follow Christ, they will follow us. And what they're saying is that I will submit to the church in church discipline. I will be holy. I will be held accountable by that local church. Baptism is vital. Babies cannot make that decision. Let's go on. Then the Lord's Supper is the second ordinance. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the Lord's Supper, but the Lord's Supper is representative. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It doesn't save you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So he's teaching them about the bread and the cup. Look at verse 26. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he comes. You show it. It doesn't become the body and blood of Christ. Amen? Jesus tasted death one time. If somebody says that Jesus' blood is shed again, he's a liar. What happened when when, uh, Moses struck the rock the second time? He was judged. He couldn't go in the promised land. Why? Because the Bible says that rock is Jesus and he'll only be smitten once. He tasted death once. That's what it says. He tasted death once. The Lord's Supper is a picture of that. And it's also disciplinary. It's disciplinary. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if someone is not living right, you remove them from from access to the Lord's table. How do you do that? You remove their membership. The Lord's Supper is only for members. I'm not going to take the time to go into that tonight or this morning. Then our next is individual soul liberty. Individual soul liberty. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. I can't make you believe anything. I can't make you believe anything. Individual soul liberty. This is the foundation to our American liberty. That I can preach the truth to you, but I can't make you do anything. You must choose to submit. Why? Because you are going to give an account before God. I'm not going to give an account for Laura. Laura's not going to give an account for me. Jacob's not going to give an account for me, and I'm not going to give an account for Jacob. It's up to him to get saved. It's up to you to get saved. It's up to you to live right. I can hold you accountable if you're in a leadership position. We can hold each other accountable for holiness. But we can't take somebody's salvation away, and we can't make them believe the truth. Individual soul liberty. Then, a saved church membership. This is distinct. If if a baby is baptized and becomes a member, that baby is not saved. Now, I know that many people who baptize babies do hope that that baby will ultimately become born again. I know that. There's no doubt that people teach that, but they're still members of that church. How does a church vote to ordain homosexuals if you've got a bunch of lost people voting? Two offices, pastor and deacon. There's, there's, there's not metropolitan and pope and cardinal and all these things that are not found in Scripture. There are three names for the office of the pastor. There's bishop, which means overseer, There's pastor, which means shepherd who feeds and protects the sheep. And there's elder, which means father or one who knows the scripture. They're all different aspects of the pastoral office. They're all aspects of the same office. We don't have elders at Grace Baptist. Do you know why? We're not Presbyterian. Do you know what the word for elder is in the Greek? Presbyteros. What does that sound like? Presbyterian. They're led by elders. That's a form of church government. We're not Presbyterian. We're Baptist. Baptists have pastors and deacons. What's the role of the deacon? The role of the deacon, according to 1 Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, according to Acts chapter 6, is to help the pastor 
serve the people because there's too much to do for the pastor. And if I'm doing that, I don't have time to read the Bible and pray. I don't have time to minister. That's why deacons exist. And the Bible says that the pastors, what they do is they appoint the deacons to do the work. And so what these guys do, they're just my helpers, but they're also my counselors. All right, when we do the church constitution, they will approve it before you see it. Why? Because I'm not an idiot. Well, in some cases I am, and this one I'm not. I need the counsel of the godly men that God has brought here. When we're going to make major financial decisions, we have a group of men that make that decision. I don't take all of that on myself. I am the overseer of it. I'm responsible for it. But I'm not foolish enough to think that I have enough wisdom to do that. That's why God has a church with other people around us. Two offices, pastor and the deacon. And then the S, separation of church and state. I'm not going to take a lot of time here, but the, the church has, the, the, the state cannot tell the church what to do. Our First Amendment is because of the Baptists. James Madison met with John Leland, the Baptist preacher. They were not going to send him to the Virginia uh, Constitutional Convention, and they were going to send someone else. And he promised. The reason the Baptists wouldn't send him was because he had written it, and there was no religious liberty in the Constitution. And so he said, I promise you, if you'll persuade your men to send me, then the first order of business after our Constitution is ratified will be a religious liberty amendment. What do we call that, the First Amendment? That came because Baptists believe in a separation of church and state. That famous letter from Thomas Jefferson was to the Danbury Baptist Association. And he said, there's a wall of separation between the church and the state. What does that mean? That means that the church can be involved in the state, but the state can't be involved in the church. Can't be. And you can't require someone to believe something to be a part of your state. Can't do it. It's wrong. You can't make somebody believe anything because of individual soul liberty. It's really important that we understand that you must be a saved church member. These are the things that make us different. These are the distinctives. This is us being different before the throne. So what are the, ma- what are the differences between the major Christian denominations? You know what? Primarily these Baptist distinctives. Some of them have some of them. None of them have all of them. If they have all of them, they're Baptist. Grace Baptist Church is, was founded to be, and will continue to be a Baptist church. Amen? If we ever move away from those foundational doctrines, virgin birth, deity of Christ, it doesn't matter what name is on the building, we're no longer a Christian church. If we move away from believer's baptism, if we move away from the autonomy of the local church, if we move away from a born-again church membership, doesn't matter what the sign says, we're no longer a Baptist church. Folks, this is who we are. This is what we're going to be. We want you to join us. Amen? We want you to be a part of this. But if that's not what you believe, don't join us. We won't let you. You're, listen, we're not joining you. You're joining us. And look, we don't make the rules. Jesus did. Let me just finish it with this. I have gone longer than I want to. Let's all stand. I'll finish it with this. If you don't believe those foundational doctrines, you don't belong to a Christian church. Don't care what you call it. And here's what you need to understand about that. The Bible says that he believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not, listen, listen, is condemned already. You're not waiting for your judgment. You're already condemned. 
If you don't believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God and died on the cross to pay for your sin and rose from the dead, if you don't believe that, listen, this is going to sound horrible and mean. It's not. It's the doctor telling you you've got cancer. You are on your way to hell. Please get saved. I'm begging you. We don't want to go to heaven without you. We're not going to heaven because we're good. We're not going to heaven because we're special. We don't have some Gnostic special knowledge that was given to us before creation. We don't don't have any of that. What we have is the word of God that tells us that we can have eternal life. As a matter of fact, 1 John says that, but these are written to you that believe in the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know that you have eternal life? Do you know that? If you have asked Jesus Christ to save you, have you followed the Lord in believer's baptism? Have you identified with the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you identified with a church and right doctrine? If you haven't done that, then let me just say it. You're not right with God. You're not being obedient. You must submit to the Word of God. Man, you get to go to heaven. Amen. You don't have to get baptized and join Grace Baptist Church to go to heaven. But you do have to be baptized and join a properly structured doctrinal church to be right with God. And that's what the judgment seat of Christ is about. What have you done in the church? What have you done with the spiritual gifts that God has given you? You can't be right with God if you're not a member of a local New Testament church. You must do that. Amen? And that's what we're going to keep saying. We're going to hand out that statement of faith and bylaws. This is what it says. But man, that piece of paper doesn't mean anything. It won't do you any good if you burn in hell. Get saved. How many of you want people to get saved? Say amen. 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 Lord, we love you. Father, I pray if there's anyone here that's not born again, that today will be the day of their salvation. There's so much false teaching in the world. And Lord, we've just gone verse by verse by verse. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Savior, that today they'll humble themselves.